Hello Granville Chapel, it's such a delight to be with you again today. My name's Susan Reddy, for those of you who don't know me, and I will be bringing you um, part of the series of preparing for a different world that we have been looking for these past weeks. And today we're in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is, was Moses' last speech to the people of Israel while they were on the doorstep of the Promised Land, after spending 40 years of wandering in the desert. And so Moses gives them this speech because he wants to prepare them for their lives there. His priority is to have them remember to keep God's law so that they will flourish in the land. And he also wants them to remember to love God. He actually gives them a command. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He knows, actually, that if they love God, everything else will fall into place. But he also reminds them, he reminds them to tell their children so they too will learn to love God and also thrive. But you know, as we come to these verses, they were written so very long ago, they can seem either really familiar or kind of dry and dusty. And we think to ourselves, what on earth has this got to do with me? 2021. But the truth is, we are some of those children that Moses was talking about in the verses. As followers of Jesus, we are the spiritual children of Abraham. And the people of Israel are our ancestors in the faith. So we need to be told about God's faithfulness and love. So we too can trust him and love him when we face our unknowns. And so today, I want to remind you of your family history, but I am not going to tell you about it. I've actually invited someone to come talk to you who was there. I'll go get her. Hello, I am Miriam, wife of Matthias from the tribe of Benjamin. I am an Israelite, but I was born in Egypt and my childhood was very hard. I don't know if I can explain to you how hard it was for our people to be in slavery, working every day, always tired, so afraid, afraid of those whips of our Egyptian masters. Oh, how we cried out to the Lord for help and for rescue. And then one day, Moses and Aaron came and they told us that they had been sent by Yahweh. And they told Pharaoh they must let, he must let us go. God had heard our prayers. We were overjoyed. We were going to be set free. But actually, things got worse. Instead of letting us go, our Egyptian masters were more cruel. They beat us more, made us work harder. Until God began to send his plagues. They were terrible plagues. Blood, gnats, frogs, darkness. One after another they came, and each time we thought, surely this time Pharaoh will let us go. But his heart was so hard, nothing would move him. Until God told Moses he was going to send one more plague, one truly terrible one. 
he was going to take all the firstborn children of Egypt. But for us, his people, we were to be protected. We must take a small lamb, a perfect lamb, and sacrifice it and put its blood on our doorposts. And then we were to be ready to go and we would be safe. Oh, how I remember that night. How terrified we were huddling together, trying to eat, so afraid of that angel, praying that he would not come to us. And he, he did. He passed over us. He did not take one child of the people of Israel. We still remember that day. We call it Passover and celebrate it. We were saved by the blood of that lamb. But he took so many Egyptian children. And even where we lived, we could hear the cries, the shrieks of despair as people discovered their children dead in their beds. And finally, Pharaoh said that was enough. Finally, Pharaoh said, go. And so we did. We could hardly believe it. And we left, all of us, our children, our carts, our animals, so many of us left that land. And we could hardly believe, hardly believe Pharaoh was letting us go. And Moses told us that God was going to give us a land of our own, a land flowing with milk and honey. God was with us. All we needed to do was follow him. Yahweh himself went before us. By day, we could see him in a cloud. And at night, we could see him in fire. It was magnificent. It was glorious. But then, when we were encamped beside the Red Sea, we realized the Egyptians were coming for us. They weren't going to let us go. And we, we were trapped. There was nowhere to go. The Red Sea was on one side and the army was on the other. And we all, we all turned on Moses. We accused him of bringing us into the desert to die. But God, God saved us. He opened the sea. If I had not been there, if I had not seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. He made a way through that sea on dry ground. And we walked to freedom. Actually, we ran because the Egyptians, they were following us with their carts and their chariots. But as soon as we were safe on the other side, God closed the sea over them, and the whole Egyptian army drowned before our eyes. But we were free, finally, free of them, free from slavery. slavery. And we were overjoyed. We worshiped God, Miriam, Moses' sister led all the women, and we danced and sang praises to the Lord. I will never forget that day for as long as I live. But we, we did forget God's goodness to us as we grew thirsty. For three days, we wandered in the desert, and we could find no water I don't know if you know what it feels like to be thirsty, but we were in the desert. We were in the sun and all of our animals, all of us, we were almost dying of the thirst. And finally, we came to some water, but the water was bitter. Mara, that is what we called it, bitter in our language. Bitter water, bitter disappointment, bitterness with Moses, and yes, with God. 
But God saved us. Again, he showed Moses some wood and he put it in the water so it was clean and we could drink it. And then God led us to Elam, a place of oasis where we were refreshed. But we soon forgot again when we were hungry. We went into the desert of sin. I often think that is a well-named desert because, oh, we sinned there. We grumbled against God and complained and cried out for food. So Moses prayed to God. And that evening, he gave us quail. So much quail. We could just reach out and grab it with our hands and we stuffed ourselves with meat. And the next morning, when we woke up, after the dew was gone, all over the ground, there was white, white flakes. We didn't know what it was. We walked around saying, manna, what is it? Moses said to us, it is God's bread for you. So we collected it and we ate it and it was sweet like honey. And every morning after that, when we awoke, except on Sabbath, God gave us his bread to eat. So we spent two years there, mostly at the, foot, at the foot of Mount Sinai, until God brought us to the promised land. We could see it was good land. And so we waited with excitement and anticipation as Moses sent in spies to see what the land was like, to see what, what we would find there. Then the spies came back and they brought terrible news. The land was wonderful, yes, flowing with milk and honey, but the people were giants. Compared to them, we were like grasshoppers, so small, so weak. How could we take this land? Caleb and Joshua, they wanted to go in. They wanted to trust Yahweh. But the rest of the adults, they did not want to go. The other 10 spies spread such a terrible report. They were filled with terror and they refused to go. And they even wanted to pick somebody, a new leader, to take us back to Egypt, back to slavery. Oh, God was so angry. I think he was going to wipe us off the face of the earth. But Moses went and prayed for us. Praise God, he forgave us. But he told us we would not enter that land, that we must now wander for 40 years in that desert until every adult who refused to go in died in the desert. Only then could we return. And so that is what we have done. For 40 years now, we have lived and wandered in the desert. Oh, the grief we felt. At first, I was so angry and I blamed my parents. I blamed all the adults. How could they be so weak and lacking in courage? This was Yahweh. We must trust him to go in. But then I began to blame God. I said to him, why are you allowing this? Why did you bring us here? I would walk behind his pillar of cloud, screaming in my mind against him. I was so filled with anger. I, I did not believe he loved us anymore. And my life felt as barren as the desert. I, I wanted to die. 
until one day when I was collecting manna. And I realized what that manna meant. This was God's bread for us every day. We would die without it. I realized despite our grumbling, despite our obstinance, despite everything, God was caring for us. God did love us. I had been blind to it in my anger, but that day God opened my eyes to see him again. And I began to see his fingerprints everywhere. In the sunrise, the beautiful sunrise over the sand dunes as we would gather manna in the morning. In the refreshment, as we would reach an oasis and drink deeply from fresh water. In the joy of laughter with friends at festival time. In, in the happiness of, of new love and marriage and children and family. I came to see that, yes, our lives were hard in the desert, but there was also so much joy. And as I saw God, as I realized all those good things were from him, I came to love him and trust him. And my life changed. It was no longer so barren and colorless. It was now full and joyful. I learned so much about God in the desert. I learned I could trust him. Forty years of faithful provision of manna taught me that. I learned he is so powerful. Bringing us out of slavery in Egypt, parting a sea, giving us victory over our enemies. Nothing is impossible with God. He is more mighty than anyone or anything. But most of all, I learned how loving God is. His love is infinite. Out of all the people in the world, he chose us, the people of Israel, to be his people. He chose us and he lives with us and he loves us and we are so unworthy. His love is, is unfailing love. How often we rebelled against him in those 40 years. How often we complained and grumbled and turned from him, yet he never gave up on us. And all the things I learned while wandering in the desert, I realized that it does not matter your circumstance. It does not matter what you have or what you do not have. It does not matter where you live or what land you are in. None of those things bring joy. The only thing that truly brings joy is knowing and loving God. And so now here we are. We are at the gate of the promised land, and this time we will go in. The only people who are left alive now are Moses and Caleb and Joshua of the, of the adults who would not go in. And so Moses is trying to get us ready because he is not coming with us. And we are standing 
at the doorway of this promised land, and we are so filled with excitement, but we are also very, very afraid. How will we manage without Moses? How will we take the land? We are still so small. What will our lives be like in this new land? There is so much unknown. But Moses, he is trying to give us courage. He is telling us we must remember God's faithfulness. We must remember his love so that we will have courage to go in. And he is telling us we must tell our children. My children were not alive when God brought us out of Egypt. All they have known is this desert. But I want them to love God as I love him. So I will tell them as I am now telling you. This time, we are going into the land. Because if we have learned one thing with God wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, nothing is impossible with God. And he is going to go with us. Thank you, Miriam. I asked Miriam to tell us her story because she is our ancestor and her story is our story. We too are part of God's family and part of God's big story. Knowing we fit into God's story helps orient us. It reminds us that this life is not all there is and that we are part of something so much bigger. But I also invited her to help change our perspective. Because when we are in the desert, it is very easy to get lost in the struggle and the suffering and the pain and to forget God's love and his goodness. And for many of us, our time in lockdown during COVID-19 has felt like a time of desert wandering, hasn't it? So much loss of family and friendship, we have been starving for companionship. Loss of jobs, wondering where our bread is going to come from. Being fearful of sickness. For many of us, it has felt like a barren wasteland. And we too are facing an unknown future, just like the people of the Promised Land standing and looking at something totally unknown. We are coming out of lockdown to a new and completely uncertain future. What is life after lockdown going to look like? Will we be able to reconnect with our friends? Will they still be there? Will we be able to have a job? What If we have one, what will it look like? What will church look like? What will school look like? How will things change or worse? Will they just stay the same? But we need, the truth is though, we need never be afraid to trust our unknown future to our known God. In his speech in Deuteronomy, that is what Moses was trying to tell the people of Israel. He wants them to remember God's faithfulness, what he has done for them, so they will trust him, so they will obey him, and so they will go into the land and they will thrive there. But do you notice that he links their obedience to their love for God? He commands them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, because he knows that if they love him, 
They will obey him. They will trust him. And everything, they will thrive. But I want you to notice in these verses that actually, this command to love, this verse telling us to love God is a command. But how can you command somebody to love? Isn't love a feeling? How do we make ourselves love somebody if we don't love them, especially if we're angry at them? How do we make ourselves love God if we think he's abandoned us, if he think, we think he hasn't looked after us, if we're feeling frustrated with him and anything but loving towards him? Well, first of all, love is actually a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we can actually ask God for that love. And you know, that is a prayer God will love to answer because he wants us to love him. He desires us to love him. That is why he gave us free choice, so we would choose to love him. But love is a command, which means it's also a choice and it's a decision. We can choose to love God even when we don't feel like it. And we can do that. We can choose to love him by cultivating our love for him. Just as you would plant a seed and cultivate it to grow a plant into a big and flourishing plant, we can cultivate our love for God by watering it, feeding it. And so the first thing we can do to cultivate our love for God and water and feed it <laughs> is to contemplate him, fill our minds with who he is. God is truly beautiful. He is majestic. He is holy. He is magnificent. He is lovely in every possible way. When we see him, we will fall down at his feet. And God is all-powerful, creator and sustainer. Every good thing that we have is from his hand. Everything beautiful in this world started in the mind of God. God is intimate, personal, kind and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love and faithful. God is so relational. That is, that is the very definition of who God is. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Always they have existed together in what theologians call parachoresis, a divine dance of love, loving each other fully. And out of that love, out of that love, they created you and me to invite us into that relationship. So how do we cultivate love? We get to know him. We think about him. We fill our minds with him. We talk to him. We read about him in his word. We worship him. We look for him as active and present in our life. And so that actually brings us to the second thing we need to do to cultivate love. We think about what he has done for us and how much he loves us. Like Miriam collecting manna in the desert, we need to open our eyes and to see his love and provision because honestly, too often we are blind because God often provides us for us in very mundane ways every day. We take it for granted, so we miss his gestures of love. We collect our manna, 
and we forget who has given it to us. So let's just take a moment now, right now, and think about what God has done for us, what, how faithful he has been to us, how he has provided for us and shown his love to us during our desert time in lockdown. I can think of a few ways. He has given us a vaccine in record time. Who would have thought we could have a vaccine this quickly? Feels like a miracle to me, to be honest. He has protected so many of us from sickness and from death. He has provided our daily bread, even for us who have lost jobs. He's provided fellowship with others and church in the most ingenious ways through Zoom. <laughs> he has personally strengthened us, shown us his love, come alongside us in our loneliness and isolation. He has spoken to us through his word and strengthened us. He has slowed us down to see the simple beauty of the world again, to hear his still small voice speaking to us, to become more aware of his presence. God's fingerprints are everywhere. We just have to open our eyes to see them. Sometimes God shows his love to us in the most ordinary ways. We forget whose hand has provided it. But we also, we have another incredible, tangible evidence of God's love for us, and that is the cross. Unlike Miriam, who didn't know about the cross yet, we live on the other side of the cross, and we know what God has done for us. We know how extravagant his love was, that he was willing to become one of us, to walk this earth, be part of his creation, and to die a terrible death on a cross, to set us free, not just to set us free from slavery in Egypt, to set us free from sin forever and for always, so we would be his, that we would spend eternity with him. He loves us that much. He gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. So if you are tempted to believe that God does not love you, if everything inside of you, all of your experiences during pandemic have made you think God has abandoned you, today, I want you to look at the cross. I'm inviting you, I'm entreating you to look at the cross and know the truth. God loves you. And he knows what it is to suffer. Jesus suffered in ways we cannot even imagine. So he understands suffering and he sympathizes with you in it. Your suffering is personal to him. He does not turn a blind eye to it. He weeps with you in it. And he is with you in it, strengthening you. He is in you by his spirit, the very power of God that raised him from the dead is in you and he is with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And even as the Bible says, even though the fire threatens to overwhelm us or the floods threaten to overtake us, they will not. Because God was holding us in the palm of his hand. He is strengthening us. He is walking with us. He will give you what you need in your suffering. And one day, Jesus is coming back for you and coming back for me.
The truth is, our lives on this side of eternity are just a small part of our life story. Our real life story will begin when Jesus comes back. We will have all eternity with him, and we will not even remember our suffering and the glory of his presence. And scripture tells us that our God is a pursuing, loving, faithful God, that nothing can separate us from his love, that his love is higher and wider and deeper and mightier than we can even imagine. And so this is how we cultivate our love for God. Instead of contemplating what we have lost, how we are suffering, all of our struggles, yes, those are real. But instead of filling our minds with those things, we fill our minds with God, with who he is, all of his faithfulness to us, and we fill our minds with his love for us. And when we do that, we will love him more. We will learn to love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And we will learn to trust him. The truth is, love of God is the key of life. We were created to love him. We will not have fullness of joy in anything other than him. But when we love God this way, and we know he loves us this way, we can face anything in our future, no matter even if it is unknown, no matter if it's scary. So yes, we are facing a new unknown, but we can face our unknown future with hope, with joy, with peace, and with confidence, because we know who God is. He is our Abba Father. He is our beloved savior, and he is our comforter and friend. Because we know who we are. We are precious children of the living God cherished beyond our imagination. And because we know we are not going into that future alone, Jesus is going with us. And he loves us more than we can possibly imagine, and we can trust him like Miriam says, no matter what. So trust him and tell your children so they too can love him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these reminders today of your incredible love for us. You are beautiful and holy. And Lord, you never leave us or forsake us. You are with us every step of every way. And so Lord, this, this morning I pray that each or this evening, I pray that whoever is listening to this will look fully upon you, will contemplate you, will think upon your faithfulness and will grow in love for you, Lord. Help us to trust you, Father. Help us to love you with all our heart, all our soul all our might, and all our strength. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus.